want to thank everyone for tuning in to an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. And thank you for continuing to share the show with your friends and, you know, co-workers, wherever you happen to know and enjoy podcasts. Um, while you're sharing it, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Podbean, where our show originates from, anywhere that you can give us a five-star rating would be appreciated. It helps us climb up the metrics and be able to bring more content to you. And if you've always wondered, hey, what do they look like while recording the show? Well, for almost a year now, we have been streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash geek in the city you can interact with uh, fellow listeners you can interact with us you know what we just have a great time every week hanging out and being you know just the nerds that we are we all have a lot of fun we would love you to join us twitch.com forward slash geek in the city as always the podcast will always be free and let's get it started right now Oh, shit, that went all over the internet. <laughs> oh, are we live now? Yes. Hello. Uh, why, hello, and welcome to issue 700 of Geek in the City Radio. I am your faceless host, Aron Duran. I am your adorable co-host, Pinarita. I'm all right. I'm Cable Ashton. <laughs> and we are coming to you live from the upstairs Guardian Game Studios. Yes. Bye-bye. Yes. Sweet, sweet, dulcet tones of people playing Yes. Well, dulcet's a stretch. Still playing D and D. Still not dulcet tones. Oh, is it? Is it D and D down there? I never remember what's happening on what night. Tuesday nights are open play role playing games. People are encouraged to come in, sit down, play some role playing games. Bring it with them. Bring their crew. Um, the Adventures League comes in and also hosts open play D and D, so people can sit down and play. It's D and D. Normally, we also do uh, kids' D&D nights, um, but because we are doing summer camps all summer, uh, the weeks of camp, they take the night off. We're also taking the night off next week because it's 4th of July. So there are three nights in a row. Like The show's taking they, that off, too. Oh, that's good. I do believe we agreed to that. Did we? Yes. I don't remember discussing it at all, but it's a national holiday. It is. Guardian Games will still be open, so you can come in and get your games. I do believe we mentioned a few weeks ago we were taking it off. I even think it says on our calendar. Good. No one is saying it. It's important. I, I don't think. I didn't automatically assume that we were going to be recording. Because mm-hmm. we all have, you know, super patriotic things to go do. Super patriotic. I'm sure I can get like a free Zoom interview or something. Uh, no, you get that on Veterans Day. Yes. No, I know. I know, because our friend of the show, Alicia, has invited me a couple times. <laughs> I don't know if she does it so much anymore, but many, many years ago, she used to look up every train restaurant, every chain restaurant yeah. that um, offered a free whatever mm-hmm. on, Veterans. on Veterans Day for, for veterans or I for mean, active members not? of the military. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to spend that much time in the suburbs just for some and why would you? To be fair, to be like, fair, I I feel like they're doing more more for you than maybe the U.S. Chain restaurants. This morning, I was talking about like how uh, the U.S. government uh, all the Iraq uh, interpreters off to try. Uh, 
and I know that there are a lot of people in this country who uh, are also being left with no helper resources, veterans. I uh, gratefully am not one of them. I could not, I could even now, like with my, you know, with my white husband and his good insurance from his nice job, uh, would still be cringing at the amount of money that all of my health care, uh, especially in the past like 18 months, <laughs> would have cost. Mm -hmm. I would, there were days where I had like four different appointments in the same week. Jeez. Yeah, the, the acupuncture, the chiropractor, the physical therapist uh, slash pain specialist. That's even getting massages for a while. Not to mention, then that's just the physical stuff. Like, forget about the upstairs business. Um, also, all of my drugs are very affordable. Good. Yes, they should be. Yes. For everyone. Everyone For should have everyone. this level of yes and we would actually pay less under single payer but that's a whole nother thing yeah let's let's not get started on that the point is that i am i guess one of the can't really grouse about the government taking care of me however well they did break you so i feel that's a fair trade uh, that's true all of my problems yeah however, well not all of them i'm sure you had some loose screws before the army oh, oh for sure that's yeah in no way, shape, or form, though, are you letting them off the hook? Or no, are no. you saying, well, because I don't experience that, then that's not true. Right. No, You're no, saying, I, I know it's a fact. I know that that, that has happened. Mm -hmm. It's not my personal experience, so I'm grateful for my personal experience. But this shit is still going on, and I want it fixed. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that you do that. Um, that is a prime example of using one's privilege to go, no, no, I have it great. Everyone else doesn't, so get on that. Well, no, if I was really using my privilege, I'd probably be more of an activist about the situation that I'm acutely aware of. But you also still have your own things to take care of in the day. You Like, we all do. That's true. I'm super busy with all my doctor's appointments. With your doctor's appointments. <laughs> uh, you, you manage a household for an entirely separate entity that is not you and your husband. That is true. Yep. I, I handle shit for five people and five dogs. <laughs> That's a dog people. a person. Yeah, technically it's six people and five dogs. Uh, and then I have to go home and still do all of those same domestic duties. So. Yeah, sorry I flaked on cooking more. You've also been very busy with your fun new job. Yeah, no, the job is great, but I went from having like freelance work and then writing to 40 hours a week freelance work and then writing. So I went from 35 hours a week to like 75. Yep. How dare you not cook for me? Kristen likes it. <laughs> Even when I make it spicy. Actually, he liked the spice. Even a few times he would have this curry and he'd be like, whoa, it was so fun. Woo. <laughs> I make Spicy for everyone. How much? How much spice? What is the low end of um, right, spice for Christian? Christian and I are on very different levels, but yes. it wasn't—it it wasn't not spicy. Okay. No. It was like legit the heat. Oh, good. Okay. I don't need the light anymore. No, that's true. <laughs> Invisible. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
I went change avatar. Go from Aang to Korra. I mean, that seems like a natural. <laughs> Let's so see. what are we talking about tonight? Uh, Star Trek. <laughs> I like how you both answered me like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> I was just trying to segue us into the topic. That was a lovely segue. Star Trek. <laughs> We're talking about Star Trek. Oh, and in case, I already made the Twitter. I'm on Twitter, I don't care. In case people are wondering why I am not on camera, it's because Logitech can make a controller that can survive at the depths of the Atlantic next to the Titanic, but they can't make a camera that isn't dog shit. Yep. Camera. Almost as dumb as billionaires. Oh, I thought the picture would be bigger. I thought so too. It's it, it's good though. That's a good picture. I I, I saved that one now. That's one of my go-to like uh, photos whenever someone complains about woke Trek. I use the captain, the serene squall, going mockingly, like, "Oh no!" Uh, that character is such an anime villain. I love it. Yeah, I love yeah, it. When... I, I look forward to her return because mm -hmm. she's coming back. There is I don't no know way she's coming not back. coming back. I don't know if they are they or a she. I don't remember how they refer to themselves. Uh, I think she is either a she or a they. Okay. I do remember, like, let's just, yeah. It's Jesse James, what's her name? I, ju I just remember when, like, she got cast and it was revealed that she was, you know, essentially playing a villain because they wanted to keep that secret till the episode, which makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because she doesn't, she's not, she doesn't start the episode right. as a villain. But, like, she got a little critique from the community in that, oh, look, it's another whatever, you know, queer or transgender person, you know, playing a villain, how cliche. And she's like, fuck you. Sometimes you want to relish and beat a bad guy. And it was a blast. You know? that, there was that there was nothing cliche about her. Yeah, what, what, are, what are some yeah. other examples of gay villains? It, oh, it, it does happen. It lot. does happen a lot. Um, boy, it, it, there were if we had anyone on this podcast that was schooled in uh, queer cinema, they would have a list. Yeah, I mean, I can tangentially, I have some idea. Yeah, I need someone that has really studied that subject. That's okay. I don't, I'm not asking You know, it's just how, like, you know, Mexicans always had to be drug dealers, even in Star Wars. Right. Jesse James Keitel, and it is, she's she. Yarp. Uh, she's not in the first two episodes. That no. We've watched. We have now watched. Um, I just had it open. Why didn't I do this? Uh, so we watched the first two episodes, mm -hmm. which are the only ones that are out so far. Yeah. The first episode the, is uh, The Broken Circle. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Up, it seems like it's been a couple months, a couple weeks since, uh, like from the ending of. Oh, one. I don't think it's been that long. I think it's only been like a month or so. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it hits three. Okay. That makes more sense yeah. because, like, they've had time for uh, Laon to have oh, her leave on a of, whole yeah. another mission That's privately. Right. Her leave of absence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She like 
where we pick up is where the crew was at at the end of episode nine of last year, not episode 10, because episode 10, Pike was just by himself and did that whole fast forward to the future thing. Yeah, his, like the re-interesting, was great too, but like the time travel version of A Balance of Terror. Yeah. yeah. It's like, this is what would happen if you had stumbled across that Romulan ship. You would have done the wrong thing and started a war. Mm -hmm. Uh, full disclosure, I, I didn't finish rewatching season one before the new season came. Uh, so I don't I also did not finish my the, third watch. The <laughs> first season but you do remember. The first season technically ends with the second corn episode. Yes. Uh Hemler dies. Hemmer dies. Hemmer dies. Um Spock. Um, undoes his uh, conditioning, yeah. so his emotions are at the surface. He he goes like full Romulan, basically. Yeah, and um, um, and Captain Patel shows up to arrest Una. Yes. Well, most of that uh, I got from. Uh, yeah, that's how the season. From the previously. Yeah, episode ten is heading to the end of the season, but it was a, a bit of a yeah. It was. It was more to address the whole um, Pike was thinking about trying to fix things again, fix his own personal timeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, Future Pike. Madness. Yeah, Future Pike showed up and went, here's the thing, don't do this. Yeah. And remember, it's it's not even because he wants to prevent his timeline. Pike's whole thing is no one dies. Because as we established in season two of Discovery, Pike is still dealing with serious guilt of the Enterprise not being there during the Federation Klingon War to help out. Yep. So he blames himself for every death that the Enterprise could have made a difference. Right. And that is what continues to plague the character, um, which we'll get to in the next episode. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Uh, but uh, in the Broken Circle, we actually get to see the effects of the Federation Klingon War on some of the Enterprise crew that weren't serving with Pike at the time because they were in it. They were all in it for the most part. It, it seems very much like Una Spock or not. Correct, because they were out on... Spock was in the same asylum and Una and Pike were out And they were out in a whole different... They were like out of range, which yep. is established in the it's a Discovery book. And the books are considered canon because they work with the TV writers to fill in kind of fun gaps. <clears throat> in fact, in the book, so you know that in the episode, the season premiere of season two of Discovery, the blue shirt guy who's real cocky and like tells Burnham, Burnham's like, you have to take these pods off automatic. We're like, we have to pile in a manual. And he's like, don't tell me what to do. And I can blow, and he blows up. Yep. So in the book, first meet him he's very timid and unsure of himself and that well, one of the whole points of the book is they keep building his confidence up and by the end he's kind of a cocky asshole okay. like i can do anything yeah right yeah um so the broken circle does something interesting that once you watch the first and second episode of the second season all of this makes sense but they like the first episode it's Una and uh, Pike having 
a conference call. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're, they're video chatting about what to do about um, her case. So he decides to go off world and go get her a lawyer. Right. And that's kind of it for them. Yeah, they're mm -hmm. gone. The rest of the episode is everybody else, mm -hmm. which is like you just brought back your show and you sidelined a star of the show. The <laughs> yeah, but which but is great because it gave other characters a chance to really establish themselves, which mm -hmm. I, I felt they had great moments in season one. Yeah, um, but, this one definitely. But given that the second episode is a courtroom drama, it makes a lot more sense that this was their episode one episode also, two was not expensive to make episode <laughs> one was yes it uh, was that episode uh, i feel like this i know the the plot is mostly driven by laon's situation mm -hmm. but i think that the stars of that episode are Benga and um Nurse chapel mm -hmm. uh and we learned so much about them in, in that I, one episode. I, feel like they, well, no, that's I think they even Spock. The least amount of time in season one, but that's not true because no. Manga had his whole daughter. Uh, no, the one with the least amount of screen time would be Ortegas. He was also yeah. getting more, more time. That was the, from what I saw online, that was the number one request for season two. They're like, we need more Ortegas, Ortegas being like, watch this. Yeah, but the, like, I agree with that. Like, I want more Ortegas, but I also recognize it's like, no, her character, she comes on and says one line and walks off and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> she's, wait, their, she's their Garrick. Like, that was both an insult, a compliment, and you just told us something about yourself that requires backstory <laughs> and probably liquor. What, like, things like, like, oh, yeah, you never get involved in a Falcon Wall Trial. Like, why would you know that? <laughs> Don't do it, because if you do, they'll hit you with a lyric Yeah. Yeah, that, that, episode, that scene from that episode mm -hmm. had, like, so much uh, backstory potential. Yeah. And it, it's all still there, but that and every time that, like, it's just... Fly the ship, make it do this. And then they cut to how the ship is actually flying through a thing. It's like, well, that's still Ortegas. Yeah. Every movement of that ship, that's Ortegas. Yeah. And when you start going, oh, right, that's because that's her lines. Her lines are piloting the ship. Yeah. So in this one, yeah, um, the Enterprise receives a coded message from um, Laon about a group basically trying to restart the Klingon Federation war. Yep. Uh, at, like both sides, like Klingons and Klingons. Yep. How far away are we from that? Because that's everything one, right? Yeah. And it's it's hinted that the Klingon Federation war lasted roughly 18 months. Okay. We're probably about a year away from we're we're a year out from at least, maybe even two. Okay. Yeah. Right, because the stuff that happened with the with Pike and Spock and the Discovery folks uh, is still pretty fresh in in the in their yeah talking about yep. yeah in their talking about uh, okay yes thank you yeah good point that um 
Yeah, so they're trying to orchestrate uh, a resurgence in that war. Mm -hmm. Yes. By making uh, what was an attack on an Enterprise ship. No, no, a better a Starfleet ship attacking a D seven battlecruiser. Ah, okay. Knowing that that and no chance against a D seven battlecruiser, but the Klingons don't give a fuck because it's on this planet where it's shared dilithium rights, and it's the Klingons' turn. Yep. They get uh, to mine. Days on, Thirty days off. Yeah. Which seems actually like a horrible plan, like yeah, a logistics like, nightmare. Down, down for that. Yeah, and also like it can't be the same site. I imagine that'd be other sides of the planet because I feel like Starfleet and the Federation will have a bit more safety measures in play for mining and the Klingons don't give a fuck as we find out 45 years later when Praxis explodes. Yes. So they don't really, not a lot of OSHA in the Klingon Empire. They're mining from different sites and they don't necessarily tearing down and setting up every time they come and go. That's just my assumption. I can't yeah. imagine. I mean, I guess if they're worried about like sabotage from the other side, I say sabotage. Sabotage. <laughs> don't, don't tell me how to say something. It sickens me. But what about Kandichi? How dare you? <laughs> wow. Oh, that was good recall. Uh, so, yeah, Laon sends this message in, and, you know, of course, the Enterprise crew believes it, because Laon doesn't, she's not one to give into hyperbole. She will not say, like, invasion imminent if she didn't fucking mean, or, like, war is going to be imminent. She wants to be like, hey, this could happen. She's like, it's going to fucking happen. It's going to happen. Um, and, and I love that. And this actually leads into a lot of stuff we know about Spock in the future, where he's like, when he's talking to the senior staff, and he's like, well, the, the option is obvious. We must steal the Enterprise. <laughs> can I tell you, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but I love nothing more than when the crew steals their ship. Yeah. It's just a trope of Trek that I love so much. Yep. I love it when we're like, fuck it, let's take the ship. Woo! I, Space I do, cowboy time. I do appreciate that he went through proper channels. He went to... Uh, April. Mm -hmm. April was like, I get it, man, but no, you can't. This it is too big of a risk with the information that I have. It's too big of a risk. And you know, deep down, April's like, that motherfucker's gonna steal the Enterprise. Well, yep. Probably not because that is an emotional choice. The logical thing to do would be ask permission. You've been told no. Moving on. I guess, no, I guess that's true. That Spock has like disabled no. emotion blocks. Well, and I also get that true because I'm also thinking of the fact that, you know, years, almost centuries later, as a rule, exception of Enterprise B as we know it, as a rule, the command crew of any ship named Enterprise, no, even Archer, NX01, there's just a thing that if you're the command crew of Enterprise, I feel like Starfleet Brass is like, you gotta keep a fucking eye on them. Like something about the flagship of the Federation, of you know, something about the people we always put in command of those. They kind of play loosey goosey with the rules. I, I feel as though that Archer set that right. The whole thing of like, man, if you're commanding the Enterprise, you do whatever the fuck you want. You give, you know what you can say? Uh, I'm the captain of the Enterprise. Well, mm -hmm. as they establish in episode two. <laughs> Uh, Star Trek 
the, the real military, really just any any place where you're putting a group of people in danger and one dude is in charge, you're you're gonna have a lot of audibles. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the enterprise captains are not the only ones. To go oh, I know. It's part of the job description, really. Hey, can you imagine giving Cisco an Enterprise? No, it's part of giant gun with the That's true. We gave him Starfleet's version of the A-10 Warthog. Yeah. <laughs> or even Janeway. Janeway. It's this. It's like, no, it's, it's a series of guns and torpedo launchers. With nacelles attached. I'm just trying to imagine, like, also, like, giving Janeway, like, the sovereign enterprise She would wreck some shit. <laughs> she was a little tiny Voyager that could go pew pew. She's like, I got a sovereign. She, Fucking A. Wow. She still commandeers ships now. That's like, true. That was part of the whole second half of Prodigy. All right. Yeah, we'll get to I feel like we're bouncing around. Oh, it's kind of fun. Um, yeah, I, I did appreciate the. We're gonna still be enterprise, and everyone's just like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, all right." You know, well, did he even say like, "You're you're free to leave"? You're free. No, he even says like, "You may report me right now if you want." I'll, I understand. No hard feelings. Yeah, it's like if this plan is. Yeah, but that was clearly everyone's like, "Well, we would report you, but we don't know what the fuck you're talking about yet." I'm talking about still the enterprise. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um. I loved Chapel and Ortega says they when he says we'll steal the enterprise. Chapel has a half grin. Ortega's damn near goes, yeah. <laughs> and Mabenka has that great little half grin. And I think I tweeted this a few weeks ago. I listened to that. I want that actor to like read me bedtime stories. Perhaps. Yeah. I I haven't the most the soothing voice. Said, and until I do, I don't want to try and put that. Yeah. Great name, but nope, not gonna try that right now. Yeah, see. Um, but there's a lot of like trauma reveal in this one. Like mm-hmm. Spock is now having to come to terms with letting inside out. Yep. And he to kind so of bring it back emotions. in. Um you find out that like Mbenga, like Chapel saw some shit, and Benga really saw some shit during I the war. I got that impression too. Because he kind of looks at her as like like his her mentor because when she mentioned she wants to take that job he's like you're leaving the ship she's like it's only for like six weeks he has a look of like i'm a proud dad but my girl's leaving this is sad uh because when they when they bust out that juice uh to get all roided out on those klingons which by the way is like the best by the way, that's going to come back later. Yeah. Yep. Um, when they use venom. All of this yeah. is coming back. A couple. Very impression that they have done that together before. I think they have. I think Mbenga. Both. They say that Mbenga developed it, right? Yeah. I. Federation approved. I think he even hints at where he used it when he's talking. When he's treating that Klingon. And that Klingon's like, how do you know, blah, blah, blah. And he mentions, I'm a survivor of this war. And he's like, you lied. There were no survivors. And then he mentions, like, the right. And he says, and you know, there were so much, there were so many dead that you were, that you were breathing it. And you know what I said? The Klingon didn't say a fucking word. The Klingon's like, you could tell the Klingon's like, 
No, nah, you were there. You know exactly what you saw. Yep, you were there. Are sort of like Vega says something that catches people off guard, and Chapel is there and interjects. He, you know, because of the war, he has an interest in putting on weapons. Right. Oh, that's right. Like, like a, just like a general interest. Yeah. Kind of oh, that's right. Because the Klingons like, why do you know our anatomy so well? She tried to like play it down. And knowledge-based knowledge interest. Yeah. I'm a doctor. Of course, that's why I knew these Right. Yeah. Um, but no, they definitely have, had that part. Of he has fucked some people up and in his broken part he of his brain. Dark side, so, sure. Well, when she tells him, like, I can't tell you. Yeah. She, yep. knew, she knew that he was, he was gonna kill it, Here's what I love about this. This is where um, the real world has influenced character development for this show that they weren't necessarily gone this direction, but they're like, oh, now we have this avenue. Babs is apparently a holds many degrees in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Oh! And they discovered this during season one and went, why don't we have him? So, not to be a nerd, but I was watching that and I was like, those are real moves he's yes. using. I not as much as I used to I used to watch a lot of MMA, yep. and I'm like, those are like, yeah, it was choreographed, but those are like moves. They're I not generic to fighting. I'm going to have to watch it again because I wasn't thinking about the style. Oh, yeah. he's uh, The choke holds he gets in some of the Klingons yep. and then just throws them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's... Yeah. They, so, really? Yeah, they said, we're giving him more action this season because he has this so there could be a time where him and fucking tom hardy could have a tournament yeah also how much would it suck man like you're into jiu-jitsu brazilian jiu-jitsu like you know tournament you've been working forever mm-hmm. you see tom hardy and you're like this fucking hollywood pretty boy and he just fucking drops you yeah <laughs> he doesn't make a big deal of it he just he, just, he loves jiu-jitsu and he there's tournaments wrecks people yeah uh, I think he stopped a he stopped a mother in London once. Yeah, that sounds about right. And they were like, "Well, why did you do it?" And he was like, well, he, was, "He was being a cunt, and he stole the lady's bag. It's the right thing to do." Okay, that's Tom Hardy. All right, no, yep. <laughs> um, Jess Bush, on the other hand, does not have martial arts training, mm-hmm. uh, so all of her stuff was stunt work. Mm-hmm. She did her own stunts. Like they're they're both fighting in that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you see her face during some of those hits and yep. uh, action shots a lot. It, it looks she, uh, like she's been interviewed talking about the fact that she's like, it's great. Like we get to spend two days just hitting Klingons and like, I, we're essentially just play fighting for mm-hmm. two days. I kind of feel like ever since the first John Wick movie, if the actor is like healthy and in decent physical shape, they're like, do I have to have a stunt person for certain fights? Like, I'll just go to longer fight rehearsals. Yeah. I kind of want to do it. And, and for some, the, the answer is going to be yes. You see the insurance person over there? That's why. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Depending yeah. on the difficulty mm-hmm. and the, the risk factor. What's well, like the interview Keanu? He's like, yeah, the, you know, the, the running, punching, like shooting, stabbing. That's me. Uh, the guy that gets hit by a car. Uh, that's my stuff. Yeah. Like, that's the guy who's been trained to take a hit from a car. Right. Yep. Yeah, there, there's some stuff that you can't really just... Yeah, uh, single. For one scene. Oh, 
watching that in the theater just made it's painful. Me ache. Um, oh man. Anyway, so um, I really love Spock's emotional journey in this first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a few people are kind of take issue with this more emotional Spock, but this is the well, this is the Spock that we get around the first three episodes of TOS before they had dialed the character in. So yeah. this is that more emotional Spock. Yeah. And I think Ethan Peck is fucking nailing it. Yeah. That, whatever switch in his Klingon brain that, that blocks yeah. emotions from coming out. And, and you see him. Make sense at all. Right. And you see him barely holding it together. By the way, there's going to be spoilers. Duh. He's barely holding it together when he's on the bridge. And Pegas is like, you need to shoot. You need to shoot now. And he's like, not yet. Not yeah. yet. And you see him start to like get red eye, like one tear. And he's like, and he just, he almost cries and says fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was such a good scene. That was fantastic. Everything about that, like the tension of that scene was palpable. It yeah. really was. And then the moment, the moment they get that beacon on the bridge, he is out of his seat and almost halfway off the bridge before he even like makes a, ver- a verbal command. He's really upset. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and they did almost die. Yep. Uh, it was very emotional for him too. Like while he would save a life, um, and that that scene, you know, kind of gives me one of those like little I robot moments. If he mm-hmm. were in his logical mind, who would he gone for first to, to help? Yeah. I mean, let's um, say that Mega was more or less fine for the right. Um, And then, you know, back on the planet, when he's that Klingon's like, I will not until I see him in the eye. Yeah. And the Klingon, you drink blood wine? He's like, yeah. I've been known to. He's like, you're a different kind of Klingon. They're a different kind of Vulcan. Vulcan, sorry. And I love. I will let when they have the first one. He says, You're not like a Vulcan. I know what he's indeed. Mm-hmm. But it's the it's Spock holding a tankard of blood wine just goes, Yeah. <laughs> um and then of course there is like the newest member of the cast. Okay, good. So now, now goddamn talk about Carol Kane is Commanda uh, Paleo. Speaking of people uh you know making comments about how uncommon of a Vulcan Spock is. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love it. She she just says out. She's like, you were an uncommon. Well, first she's like, you can always count on a Vulcan not being a lie. <laughs> she's like, looks like someone is intentionally making it look like a warp core breach. You are in danger. I taught a course on warp core breaches. <laughs> I do not know that that is. Are you, are you suggesting that we are stealing the Enterprise? Oh. I'm flat out saying you are. <laughs> and she's like, I want to go. But what is it like, she, especially the son of a man of Amanda Grayson? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which was cool. Yeah. And that immediately is like, wait, what? You know my mom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, are you going to tell my mom about this? <laughs> also, that's the fun thing. I love that. The, and this was also the case in TOS, even though they didn't make it explicit. Vulcan is a matriarchal society, so when they get married, often the husband takes the name. Mm-hmm. Sarek didn't because he's an ambassador and he's just Sarek. Mm-hmm. But that's why she's not. Human. 
Right. And they've always said, and they're like, what's your last name? And he's like, you cannot pronounce the Vulcan. Mm-hmm. You can't pronounce it. Sarek. He's always Sarek of Vulcan. Mm. And she who is my wife. Vulcan uh, is a goddamn treasure. Yep. And the mm-hmm. last thing that I know of her having been in was um, her breakable condition, mm-hmm. which I did really enjoy that show and uh, Carol Kane's performance in it. Um, but she just this side of a garbage person uh, in that show. And it is really nice. It's delightful to see her cleaned up. She's, she's so beautiful. And the character is smart and funny and energetic. Uh, it's, it's the perfect role for her. Yeah. And, and I can't tell if that's just for her. Yeah. It was. I love that so much. And I also, I can't tell if that's just Carol Kane's it is not so when i heard it it sounds like if simka from taxi got older i was like that's the voice you used in fucking taxi sort of i was like i heard i'm like this is this is an older it's an evolution of that voice is what i personally heard so here's the the fun internet theory that's going around is that Based on so she's they introduced her as a lanthium, uh, yeah, lanthium, which is lanthanite. Lanthanite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lanthanites are. You're now just learning about them, but they are long-lived, nigh-immortal beings that resemble humans and can pass as human and have been hiding in plain sight. Hiding in plain on sight Earth on Earth mm-hmm. for presumably centuries. I, I'm sure they said exactly how yep. long it's been. So. No, I don't no they have not. No? Nope. Okay. So the theory is that, um, that yes, Commander Pelia is Simka. Oh, and, that she just is Simka? Yeah, and for that matter, every fucking character Carol King has played that is a real world character from Taxi forward, which would also be her character from Kimmy Unbreakable Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt. And The Princess Bride. No, because that's not real. That's a, that's a fantasy tale. Oh, that's right. right. From a book. But that also makes her character for uh, Law & Order SVU and Homicide Life on the Street, where she's <laughs> the voice of Detective Munch. Oh, shit. Yeah. Which so that, makes her connected to every show ever made because right. she was married to Munch. Yep. Yeah, so that, like, she's in like three episodes. But, like, I looked at her IMDb, I'm like, this links way too many shows to Star Trek. <laughs> also, someone had mentioned, like, well, that means Lanthanides might be ephemeration memories. No. They pass as humans. Yep. Because at the end of the episode, she says, Your mom was the first person I came out to. And only Ohura was like that accent. Yeah. So Ohura was like, you're Lanthanite. Because Ohura is like a master of linguistics. Yep. Yeah, she can figure it out by your fucking race, by your accent and yep. your dialect. Of course she can. Um, I love the fact that she's playing Elia as if she's five steps ahead and two things away. Yeah, that's accurate. Mm-hmm. That is an accurate um, uh, assessment. 
What does she say to Spock? Two drinks in and you get all personal. (laughs) I love how her attempt, I love how her mundane suggestions of like stealing the Enterprise, everything comes off as like seductive. Her whole first scene scene is like, steal it flat. What does she know? She calls him, does she call him Flyboy? Yeah, no, she literally made that whole uh, sound like a come on. Yeah. Yep. I love it. I love yeah. it for her. Also, uh, her outfit, um, not that Paramount is making smart decisions when it comes to Star Trek, but her little engineer's belt and oh, like yeah. side bag. Yep. I want one. Star Trek fanny pack. Yep. Yeah. So great because as we've seen, Star Trek uniforms up until TNG, unless you have a doctor's coat, don't have fucking pockets. You have to wear belts. It's a life-held future. There, there is, yeah. There, there are a lot of decisions that are being made in costuming, as far as Trek is concerned, lately that I am so on board for. Mm-hmm. Like Rafi's outfit in that third season of Picard. I'm like that. That is the Starfleet uniform I have personally wanted for fucking ever. Yeah, uh, I think even bag, leather jacket. Yes, I mean it. Done. Gates McFadden so, said that the jacket she got in Star Trek and Picard season three has been the only time she won a piece of clothing from any set. Uh, and apparently, they did let her have it. Good. Nope. Mm-hmm. You, it's nope. Season three. You were right to look up season three. Um. And I, I just love when Spock's like, when she's like, do you know it's like the worst thing about being very immortal? And I love that line when he's like, you must watch Love Was Dying. She's like, no, that's everyone who has half an open heart must go through that. Yeah. She's like, it's bored. I'm <laughs> bored. So uh, I am super excited for more of her. Yeah. I cannot wait. Till we get Pike and her in the same what scene together. Right. They haven't. Yeah. Yet. She was she she wasn't in that second episode at all. No. Nope. No. They let her down as a recurring character. Uh, I had really hoped that maybe she was going to be uh, another main character. Yeah. Well, like Hammer wasn't in every episode. Yeah, Hammer didn't show up. He didn't show up in every one of them. But um, when they brought Tignataro onto Discovery, mm-hmm. they made her a regular. But not on every episode. No. I think that's how we're gonna. But she's part of the crew. Of yeah. The... I, mean. I I think Paley is gonna become crew of the Enterprise. Yeah. What I'm looking forward to is that, like, in my head, that meeting between her and Pike is who the hell are you? Like, oh, I'm your new engineer. That's not how that works. I, I, okay, I'm going to engineering. Bye. Yeah. Like, wait I, a minute. Who, who was that? Who was running my And I love the idea of him looking at Spock and being like, you know, Spock, Captain, I believe she's that she's the new chief And I can imagine Pike being like, in a weird way, I imagine Pike like fucking Han Solo in Jedi when he finds out Luke, or when he finds out Luke's a Jedi. I imagine Pike gone for like a week. Yep. <laughs> what? Happened? I was barely gone. <laughs> um, it was great. Um, 
Yeah, everyone. Well, the actor's not going to be gone, though. He said he's back to season two. He is. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was complaints about, like, oh, the first, like, disabled yes. character on on Trek, and you, you know, you removed him, and the actor's like, the actor's like, I, I knew from casting I was dying in episode nine. Yeah. And, okay, but I, shut up. I'm in Star Trek. It was... <laughs> yeah, I, I love that his response was always, like, I know I was dying. I, the only thing I asked is like, make it a cool death. Mm-hmm. How cool was my death? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, that was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like you sacrificed yourself to save everyone. Yeah. Like that was, yeah, you had a good death, and you like him so much they just bring him back. They don't. They haven't said as what death, which is fine. Right. Um, he is coming back. What's the actor's name? Bruce. Bruce Horak. Thank you. I thought that's what it was, but that seemed wrong. Um. So yeah, and then I, I just think. I mean, that kind of wraps up episode one. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yep. Had fantastic emotional beats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean. We know that Chapel and Benka don't die because they both appear in the original series. Yep. Mm-hmm. But even so, like, I felt worried about them. There uh, is a way to write a high stakes situation for a character you know in, in a different piece of work. Right. Yeah. Just because we know they live, it's like, I, there's still a bunch of people on the ship that I don't know what they're based on. Because also, there are things worse than death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but we both know that Mbega and Chapel are, for the most part, unharmed because we see TOS. I do appreciate that this is also the first time that we know Dr. Mbega's first name. Mm-hmm. He's Dr. Joseph Mbega. Yeah. Which I don't think that was ever said in TOS. No, it's not. So that's great. To have uh, Nurse Chapel Christine refer to him as Joseph. Yeah, like, like Joseph. You've got to. Like, good. Like, thank you. Thank you for continuing to do this. Before we wrap the conversation on this episode, I did want to point out that um, one of the things that had people really worried about Strange New Worlds specifically was that it was going to be more episodic. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, we're definitely moving into some continuity stuff. Uh, the goal, right? We we dealt with the goal a couple times in season one, and now they've opened the season with this sort of mm-hmm. situation that no one knows about. Right. Um, yeah, I... It's gone. Continuity. Yeah, well, I mean, you can be episodic, but still have themes that run through. Like season one did that, season two is going to do that. Right. No, I mean, I don't mean it as a bad thing. I, right. It was just something I, I noticed. I assume season three is going to have that because they've officially greenlit. But as we get to later, I don't fucking trust anything Paramount saying right now. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, and that, you know, leads us right into. Episode two. Yeah. At Aspera 
per at Astra per Astra. Or at Astra per Astra. Thank you. To the stars regardship. Yeah. Oh my god. Um who was it that was playing it like, man, Star Trek is really good at the uh the courtroom Me. procedural. Uh, yeah. and they're not wrong. No, Star Trek does really good courtroom shows, mm -hmm. episodes. Yeah. Um, Measure of a Man. Oh, my God. Well, there was Court Martial in TOS, which was good. Yeah, Measure of a Man, The Drumhead. Um, DS9 had that one where Worf's wanted for murder by the Klingon Empire. Remember? Mm. When he acts, when he, like, a, that split decision, he destroys what they think is a full of civilians. Um, the one at the end, even though he's found innocent, like Cisco corners him in their in like in his office is like, you're gonna command that ship. Like, I can't have you say you can't say it was a decision that made a split second. And I worked on instincts. I didn't think he's like, you're gonna sit in that chair. That answer is not acceptable ever again. So I love that he's found innocent. Um, the our our Star Trek father was still like, you have disappointed me, warp son of, <laughs> you know. I don't think Voyager ever had a courtroom. They, the closest thing they did was when they were trying to decide whether or not the doctor was sentient. Right. And they whiffed that one. Yeah. Did they end it with techno battle? Voyager whiffed it? What? I'm trying to be a lot kinder to Voyager these days because I keep looking back at it and going, there are parts of it that we're ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. that it is getting the do. And the characters themselves and the actors that portrayed them should be getting all of their yeah. do. My, my... No, no, all of my. Um... What's the word? Uh, ire? Yes, all of my... there was a... we'll go with ire. Mm -hmm. All of my ire when it comes to Voyager is uh, specifically aimed at the producer. Or all of the people who were like, no, we can't do that, do it this way. We don't even blame the writers. No, the writers were hamstricked. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was my, my frustration because of Bourbon and Braca calling the shots. Um, Voyager really tension to be like the, the distilled vision of it. Like, we are going to explore every week. We yeah. want to get home when they need to We will maintain Starfleet's ideas at any point. Doing uh, I mean, even then, that was always sort of my complaint is like they came so close and then they just fucking dropped the ball. They chickened out again. They yeah, took the yeah. easy way out every mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like they conveniently made it that as the launched, Chewbacca had just done his Ponfar. Oh, right. Yeah. And I'm like, you, you, you could have had an amazing episode where like he needs to go through it and the only person he fucking trusts is Janeway. How does that change their relationship? You know, there was there was just and he's married, so but it was still a thing. He's like, if I don't do this, my Vulcan blood will kill me. Because we're like space salmon. Uh, they did it with that one the younger Vulcan, and then with Balana, and then that went sorts of sideways. Yeah. Well, Every time I think of Balana, I think of Chakotay going on the spirit, their spirit vision quest with her, and he's like, you spilled your spirit guide. She's like, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's in line with the Klingons, because the Klingons are like, we killed our gods, we found them to be more of a nuisance. Yep. <laughs> anyway, yeah. This courtroom procedure absolutely blew it out of the water. 
Oh my God. I do want to point out, I think, I think most people will agree. There is the scarcely veiled, uh, you know, like allegory uh, of Star Trek where you're like, this is so obviously about X, Y, Z. And then there's not even time. No. And I'm not mad about that at all. Um, because they did such a fucking good job. That episode had me falling. Yeah. As we learned in. This is a bonk bonk on the head episode. Yeah. In the season opener, the first episode of last year, Star Trek has gone right. Americans no longer understand subtlety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they did. And, and, we- and I feel like with this episode, it doesn't lessen the impact of it. No. But I feel like in this day and age, especially in America, you consider yourself any member of a marginalized group, mm-hmm. you saw yourself in this fucking episode. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just, yeah, I teared up the first time. And I I mean, I, I cried the first time, I teared up the second time. I feel like this is gonna be an episode where I will kind of choke up every time I watch it. Yeah. Especially that interaction towards the end between Una and her attorney. Yeah, the, Una, Una's time on the stand. Yeah, I, like you, so she hit. It was like a like a checklist of um, streetcar, um, of persecution, mm-hmm. and then like they they hit every single one. Um, I lost it. Um, it's no. This is a like Cable's right. This is uh Americans don't do nuance anymore unable to process nuance we're going to slam you over the head with this one um and i still like that i like it when a trek show reminds you that for the most part life in the federation is pretty fucking great but it's not perfect and and it still has old and it stands to reason this will be an old prejudice like the scars and they've really kind of dialed that in for a while now the scars of the eugenics wars they scarred an entire species, not yeah. a culture. It terrified an entire species. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So you can get it, but still not agree with it. You're like, you guys should be better than this by now. Yep. But you can extend, you can understand where the fears come from. Um, well, that's what they pointed out, right? We, we worked so hard to protect from this that the way we've been, the pendant has swung the other way. The, at the, some point, my protection becomes hurtful. And for, um, in defense of the Federation and their laws around this, last time that the Augments attacked caused any sort of wreck. That's true. Is a hundred years prior to this. Yeah. During this, ep- yeah, with Archer. Yeah. And also because of Enterprise and because of Augments. That is, the canon is that Augments and experimentation with genetic manipulation is also why there's an entire percentage of the Klingon population that is. And is actually not treated very well. That's why they're given their own ships. They do not mingle. They have, they have, it might be augment, but they have her blood in them. They are not Klingons anymore. Yep. With the thought. 
Um, yeah, it's just, it had so many like powerful scenes, but it was also not without its humor. I love watching uh, Becca and Ortega's. First, I love Ortega's like, she's like, look at them over there. You know, like, I agree with you, you know, I agree with you. That is the only logical. Yeah, she's like, I agree with you. That is the logical course. It is regrettable. Yeah. And Ortega's is like, or Mbenka's like, you don't, you don't see it. Those two hate each other. What? He's like, I, he's like, they suppress their emotions, but you can see it in their body language. I, I, I'm only disappointed that like, if you I feel like Mbank is one of those teachers that wants you to discover on your own and then he yeah. will talk with you about it. But the best part of that is when Spot comes over and he's like, I'm sorry you had to watch that emotional confrontation. Like, I apologize. This is the only time that, like, out of all of my father's associates, he's the one I hate the most. He's the one that brings out the, the worst in me. Yeah. yeah. As he walks away, just both of them laughing. And Vega looking at Ortega's like, See, I, <laughs> I just love Spock. I'm very sorry. I just had that emotion. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I did appreciate the humor of that scene. Mm. That was well done. It was, and it was kind of a nice needed moment because things were going to get serious really fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they did. Yeah. Like how they did. Um, I even appreciated <laughs> how close we came to, oh, we're not. We're not just going to go after Una. We're going to go after Because that's what always happens. Well, especially after uh, Ira, the Illyrian lawyer, mm -hmm. went after April mm -hmm. and made him look bad. Yeah. Um, but that was also part of her strategy, I think. When yeah. you go back and look at it. Right. But they, in the episode, they're, like, they're going to make an example out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, right. They don't really want to bargain. Uh, well, I, no, I get it. And I I was interested in the hypocrisy of the Vulcan Admiral who was part of the prosecution. Mm -hmm. And that the big thing is like, Admiral April is not on trial. Mm -hmm. How dare you ask that? The moment he begins questioning, he's fucking 100% putting Pike on trial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I also really appreciated that um, Pike's girlfriend, I don't remember her name. Captain Patel. Captain Patel. Okay. She uh, is, she kind of is the lead in terms of like, being in the courtroom and, and cross-examining yep. the witnesses mm -hmm. and all. But as the episode, for, as, the, as the trial progresses, you can see that she's less and less on her own side. She didn't want to be on that side of this case no. to begin with. Right. But at least in the beginning, she's she's really trying to do her job, right? Yep. Because she what is needed, uh, whether she likes it or not. But slowly, you see her really switching yeah. sides and thus not uh, not taking her role quite as seriously to the point where that Vulcan guy is like, uh, "You're gonna you're gonna call them out? You're gonna object or what?" Because uh, <laughs> she's like. Just so good. Like, yeah. This, this well, and you. And, yeah. And she's not wrong in the beginning when she says all the things she had to pull. I mean, from a legal stance, if you don't want to deal with the rule, the, the law itself being unjust, when she tells Pike, like, this is a good deal. Mm 
like on paper from a legal stance, it is a good deal. They're like no jail time. She'll just be discharged. Like dishonorably, but um, not not tried for like sedition because she's like you know all these things. She's like yeah. it's a good deal. I'm sorry, but this is a good deal. Yeah. And from a legal stance, it is a good deal. It is. Um, if you don't have all of the information and you're going with what's in front of you, yes. Yeah. That is a good legal deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I also appreciated how human um, they allowed Mattel to be. Yeah. Um, because it also showcased, it's like everything that she is doing right now is why she is also a captain of the starship. Yeah. Um, I re- she she was Starfleet through and through, just like everyone else. Like, yeah. great. I love the fact that even though she lost, she was there to celebrate his release mm-hmm. with everybody else on the Enterprise. Well, it, it reminds me of Measure of a Man when they're celebrating Data being like, called sentient, and Riker doesn't want to join the party. He's like, I have no reason to be there. He's like, I almost won. I almost ended her life. Data's like, but was it not true that if Starfleet felt you were not doing it the best of your ability, would they have not ruled the summary judgment against me? Yep. And he's like, yeah. He's like, well, then in a way, you saved me. Like, you're the reason why I got through this. And like, Picard's like, you're a much wiser man than I, or Riker. Mm-hmm. It's a great scene. And I feel like Patel has that similar, Patel has that similar yeah. moment. If she had not done yeah, she did. Like, except for that, where she's like, "I'm now invested in this Una's story and has to be reminded." Yeah, right. I am supposed to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really appreciated um, the moment between Laon and the attorney, uh, Nira, when Laon's trying to figure out who leaked the. By the way, I called that like 20 minutes in. I was like, "Oh, Una leaked her own first." I, I kind of suspected that at the end of last like I want to see where this goes. I kind of thought because she's terrified of dragging Pike down with her. Yeah. Yeah. Once, um, once, once he knows. People, once people on the, on the ship knew uh, that that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you could argue that Chapel and Bet knew too, because they would have looked at her and been like, "Yeah, you're not." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, as soon as, as long as no one knows your secret, like everyone gets um, plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, but the moment other people know, now it's not just you. you know, right? Yeah, but I love that moment Didn't when. Did reveal to Manga? Not, not directly. Why don't you go directly with Pike? Pike. Uh, and I love I love that moment though between Laon and Nira, where Nira's like, "You're you're mad at her." And she's like, and she's like "Yeah, I am." But not obvious. It's because Laon is still carrying this shame that she is a descendant of Khan, mm-hmm. and everyone looks at her like, "When are you gonna do it? Mm-hmm. When are you gonna be a fucking, a, a, you know, a, a Nudian thing and go all like." in your blood like even though she's never maybe been told that she's internalized that that it's almost like a inside her 
And now she's got a friend who she has opened up to as a young person because Una saved her. And so Una, I mean, so Lon sees Una as like a big sister who protected her. And it's like, how dare you not share your secret with me when you know the pain I keep for being a descendant of Khan Nooney and Singh. And it's like an honest moment. And the Nira is like, and by the way, it was not you. Yeah. And also, no, doesn't, but also is like, but also you have every right to be angry at Una for oh, her yeah. hiding it. Like, but you didn't do this. Well, you didn't do this. You know, Nira has been pissed at Una for probably a couple decades now. Because uh, Una said that they, she, she left, her family left the Aryan community to go hide amongst the human community. They, she, when they were like, when she was like 12 or 13. Her, yeah, uh, Una's family, I mean, for our modern terms, her whole family decided to code switch and pass because they could, because it was, and. That's like leaving everyone behind. Yeah. Uh, which. Uh, leaving, which leaving that community because they know they can pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't, you know, it's that, it's that double-edged sword, like you can't fault Una's family for thinking that, you know, you can't. Not well, and especially with the only thing they're worried about is like, we don't want our daughter, because Una mentions like he was 10 years old and came away in the night. Una's parents see that and they're like, whatever it takes. They are not dragging our young daughter off to a Federation penal colony because of what she was born as. And of course, the implication also is that friend of hers was Nira's cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, oh, that's the other thing that I really, uh, that really caught my eye. And Aaron disagrees, but I'm, I'm curious what you think. Um, yes, obviously it is laid out in words. Uh, Nira and Una were once best friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nira is like deeply mad at Una mm-hmm. for having left her behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's about more than just the, um, the thing with her brother. They had a scene, uh, just Una and Nira earlier on, where they're, you know, disagreeing with each other. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like there's like some other subtext there. I'm not going to remember exactly what you said, but there, I, I felt like there was some subtext there about their relationship. And then at the end, uh, when Nira is leaving in the transporter room, they, you know, like they hug his friend and, um, as Nira's walking away, they're holding hands and they, they, you know, they zoom in on that and show that like they don't let go of each other's hands until basically the last mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. before it I I got the very distinct impression that they weren't just best friends, but that they might have had some sort of a romantic connection, which would be another reason to be so bitter about and her family just taken off. Um, I think that that is written with a certain amount of ambiguity so that it, it, it better suits your personal narrative to interpret it that way, then that is why it is written that way. And I guess that's what I should have said to you last night. That's yeah. how I feel about it. I, I've had that thought myself, but as I I'm like, I don't, I don't think they're trying to do that. They're not trying to be overt by saying, 
yes, they also had a romantic relationship. Right. Again, subtext. Because I don't think they want to just say, oh, it's because they had a bad breakup, because that minimizes the hurt and the pain that can come from any type of relationship. Yeah, especially yeah. one that was so close when you're yeah. so young. Yeah. And so, the, the othering. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that subtext is there and that it can be interpreted that way specifically because everything about this trial and everything about um, Nira's defense of on the stand is supposed to be an analogy for everything that's going on right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that was painted with a very broad brush so that you could interpret it that way because if that makes if that's what makes it connect to you personally. I'll take yeah. that answer. Yeah. Um, and I know the Grammy I do believe the Emmys have a specific award for best of dramatic in like as a guest role. And if uh Yatide Badaki does not fucking win yeah, that. Yeah, T sorry. If she does not fucking win that one. Uh, she just is devastating in this episode. So good. So I watched the Ready Room yesterday. Um, I need to remember to start watching those. Right um, so that's one. That's how I knew the stuff about Mabenga. Oh. Uh, and then I just watched it yesterday for this episode. So that's how I know how to pronounce it, Yutide. Um, they were all on it, it was an, another one of those castings where they're like, are we really getting hurt? Right. Okay, great. Okay. How did we find it? And then she came on set and all of her scenes were with uh, Rebecca Romaine. That's when Rebecca found out. It's like, oh no, you're a Trekkie. You're oh, a is, the, is she a Trekkie? She's a, yeah, she's another hardcore Trekkie. Cause, like, Rebecca Romaine is very much a hardcore Trekkie. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I've always done this. Um, and she starts talking with Yatide, and it's like, fuck, you're pulling out TOS stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> uh, That's always cool to hear. Yeah. You know? And that, that's the thing is that is the new people keep, just keep showing up going, no, no, we, we want to be on Star Trek. Right. Because it's why I'm where I am today. Like, I became an actor because because of Star Trek. Well, I mean, we're, we're getting into a time where, like, pretty soon, no one will have been born without there being Star Trek in the world. Good. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's certainly a lot better than people who have been alive less time in the uh, rack occupation. Right. Um, moving on. Mm. Um, I had a thing that I was going to say. Oh, um, still on Nira, um, and like the whole like dynamic she has mm -hmm. with Una. Um, you know, it, it's I, I she has quite the arc mm -hmm. for a single episode, right? It goes mm -hmm. from like not returning phone calls and refusing to even meet with Pike to agreeing to take the case. But she's just going to use it as a pedestal for, you know, a bigger 
more global issue being like the treatment of Americans by starting flag federation. You know, and then Una called her out on it. She's like, you're just gonna fucking sacrifice me. It's not about my case. It's just you being opportunistic. And then ultimately she she throws that you know that case in, in her head uh, to like, make it deeply personal. Sort of her friend. Mm-hmm. She is like the most sought after civil rights lawyer mm-hmm. within the Federation. Right. This right. is specifically within the legal. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can argue that she still has created, set a very significant precedent mm-hmm. uh, by getting uh, out, out of this. I mean, getting into it more often. I hate that phrase. Um, now there is a precedent, precedent for other Illyrians or you know people from any. Yeah, that, that's the depressing thing is. All the other shows that we've watched so far, that law is still in place. The augments? Yeah, I mean, Al can't be part of Starfleet if Prodigy takes place between Lower Decks and Picard. Yeah. Well, they can't retcon everything. Yeah, but uh, like, but it shows that like they still have not been able to reconcile with. Yeah, where they have not addressed this yet, yet is right, which means. Which means there's still an opening for them to go, oh, yeah, it was after this period of time that we went, now nah, fuck this augment law. Yeah. See that. So there, there is a place within Discovery's continued storyline where they can go, oh, yeah, no, after this happened, and after this happened, then we did this. Mm-hmm. I also like that this still established that Starfleet has trial uniforms, not just dress uniforms. Because the costume designer, they said, like, we studied the menagerie for days. And that's why these trial uniforms look this way. It's from the menagerie. Those uniforms are so, so good. They're so good. They are so gorgeous. They're so special. Um, I mean, I'm also always going to love the casual green captain's tunic. Yeah. But everything about the costume has been. Ah, it's just so good. Yeah. So on point. Um, I think it's intentional that uh, the Vulcan Admiral who's working on the prosecution side Mm -hmm. looks a lot like the very cold and distant Vulcans that we saw on Enterprise Mm -hmm. and when we see him eventually in the motion picture, the ones that have embraced Kolinar. Like, very, like, yeah. Even the way they speak is very measured. It's the... Although I would argue that that Vulcan was showing some emotion to drive his point home eventually. Yes, he, he was. You can perform emotion without necessarily feeling it. All I'm yeah. saying is if Kirk was there, he'd be like, Admiral, that sounds angry. Are you angry? Yep. Perhaps that means you're not fit to do that. As a couple of other bits of trivia, I appreciate that the the Tellarite um, judge on the bench is the same actor that plays Linus the Saurian on Discovery. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Because I that's looked, cool. I looked him up on IMDb, and the picture 
for his IMDb pages. Like, great. Um, also, the like, courtroom is. Hmm? Did he have speaking lines in this episode? Yeah, he's yeah. He's had a couple things. Because okay. Linus doesn't speak, right? Linus has had a couple. He's had a couple lines when he sneezes and says, and he says yeah. like, "Very sorry, six sinuses." Yeah. When he says like six. Their, their species have like, no. yeah, he has a line that, and he says like, I'm sorry, I have a cold, and he, and he says, it must be rough, and he goes, mm, six different sinuses, like, or six different nasal passages or something. He's like, he, he speaks in season three, which means that's when I think the actor got his sad card. He made yes. it, did he not act before? Oh, no. Uh, usually, and you, you, and you can't have, you can't. That could have to be like just an extra. Like that's why if you're not credited. Like Morn from Deep Space Nine for years, he never said anything because that actor did not have a SAG card yet. I think when he got a SAG card, they still like it became the bit. It became the bit. Especially the bit was like, you know, why were you out so late? I started talking to Norn Morn. You know how he gets. Yep. Never shuts up. Yep. <laughs> Uh, wait, I'm having like a chicken and the egg moment here. Um, you have to get your SAG credentials before you can have so there's, a speaking role. Well, not necessarily. You can have a couple of short speaking roles before SAG is like, you need to now join. You can do a few to kind of get started because that becomes a catch-22. You can't have a decent role without a SAG card. You can't get a SAG card. So there's a, there are steps if you have a certain amount of lines in a couple performances, then it's like, okay, you've been doing the business, you must now join SAG. And then someone has to sponsor you. I wanted well. to be like, mm-hmm. a, like a, specific, a specific, like arbitrary metric. You have to have spoken 30 words on screen before qualify for SAG. I, I'm sure it is some <laughs> arbitrary number. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the, the, the other thing is the, um, Room is a discovery set. It is a big round room. It's the is it the room where like she gives the speech of like we must reach for the stars? Oh no, it's uh it's uh the Queen Admiral's office. Oh okay. They just repurposed it and put like Chinese on it. Yeah. So I, it looked great as a courtroom. It's like, oh this is really pretty. <laughs> It's like, right. yeah, we said it so that it would be overlooking certain. Performers may join SAG after if the applicant is a paid up member of the affiliated performers union uh, for a period of one year and has worked and been paid for at least one, and paid at least once as a principal performer in that union jurisdiction. It's like for a little while, I used to be a member of the, um, like they've been gutted, they have no power anymore. Um, Radio used to have a union too, mm-hmm. um, and they have no fucking authority, which is why, like, radio has been gutted. And there's like three radio stations, all like iHeart Radio or bullshit. But I was a member for a little while. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to Strange Worlds. Lower Decks crossover is no. this week. Yeah, Lower they said crossover is. Episode seven. I thought they were saying episode three. Is Jonathan Frick, uh the director for that one? Yeah. Yeah. 
episode seven is those old scientists that is a lower decks reference that yes yeah, so that makes more sense because uh, hmm. this week's episode for this thursday is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow which is a time travel episode yeah Woo! which makes me think uh which makes me think they're gonna tie into tomorrow was yesterday sort of it, it is a it is does guest star james t kirk right but it's yet much like episode 10 it is an alternate timeline version of captain kirk so is this one so it could be so this could be one where kirk got stuck in the 1960s with tomorrow was yesterday I don't know. I, I know that the, the principal character that's being time traveled is La'an. Okay. Huh. So she's being paired up with uh, Jim Kirk. Right. For this episode. It's going to be fun. Yep. Mm -hmm. Should be fun. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But yeah, the Lower Decks episode is episode seven. Okay. Those old scientists. Yeah, I think Jack Quaid was promoting it on a podcast um, a few weeks ago, and they're like, I don't want to get everyone's hopes up. This, like, I'm here to promote this episode, which is weird because, like, it doesn't come out until August. Sorry. Hmm. It's going to be good. Those old scientists. Um, well, we should probably start to wrap up here. Yeah. Do we want to talk about tropes, and we'll just end the episode angry. Yeah, let, let's not. Um, people know the news about strategy. Um, By the way, like Paramount Plus. Yeah, like three hours ago, Paramount Plus's official Twitter, like, put a quote out about like, what's your favorite. Or something like, give us your favorite line from one of our properties. And they are getting ratioed so hard. Everything was like, the one you don't fucking cancel, Prodigy. The one you piece of shit where you give us our shows. <laughs> the ones where we believed in your stupid streaming program and then you're pulling, like, everyone's. Yeah, whoever runs for marketing, that was a bad call to make that post. I'm sure someone said, like, we're getting bad press. Post something funny. Poor Mark Burton's like, oh, fuck. Okay, here we go. Great. Yay. Yeah. Well, uh, we will not have a new show next week because it's the 4th of July. Uh, America's birthday. Yeah. It's not. Uh, I always love the fact that we are the only country that celebrates the start of a war, not the end of it. That's right. Yep. That's the whole premise of 1776. Yeah, that's the official declaration of war, basically, too. Yes, we are. Um, I will be in Denver uh, the next few days over the weekend for the Fan Expo Denver. So, yeah, I'm there in the pro area. I will have uh, seasonal issues of Season of the Bruma. I will have the trades. Those comic book shops are out. They're out of the distributor. And allegedly the reprint's coming in August, but who knows? Um, I can never get any response from my publisher about this book. 
So, hey, if you want to know if there's going to be a volume two of Season of the Brew, I don't know either. So just go to Twitter and say, hey, at Oni, are we getting a volume two? I, I feel like I have nothing to lose now. Because oh, yeah. all I've heard is silence. Everyone, yeah. everyone go to the internet and yell at Oni. Don't yell at them. Just be like, are we going to get it? Simple, you know. Yeah. Yeah, don't be like, you fuckers. Like, don't do that. No, no, no. Uh, and be nice because the person who runs their Twitter has no, like, managerial control. I know who it is. They're a very nice person. Do not be mean that way. Just be like, hey, at Oni, like, uh, we all want volume two. Are we going to get one? Be great. It would be great if you published this. Why don't you go ahead and publish That would be great. Be a lot cooler if you did. Uh, all right, all right. And, and while you're at it, maybe you hit up Paramount. Yeah. Basically, we're saying use your voice to get what you want from these streaming services yeah. that you give money to. Look, your voice is literally what kept Trek alive. Without the letter writing campaign, when it was canceled during the first season, none of us would be here right now. It just wouldn't have happened. One factual letter on the internet, and so many of my problems got solved last week. All right. My car, my car Oh yes, right, right, right. Well, with that, uh, I am Aron Duran. We will talk to you in two weeks. Two weeks. Two. You can't tell, but I'm waving at you now.